0: Before we get into this episode, just a quick note that listener discretion is advised. This episode contains personal experiences relating to suicide, domestic violence and sexual abuse.
1: The best form of therapy is helping other people. The healing will come back to you hundredfold.
2: Welcome to the I Thrive Podcast, where we pose the question, what does it mean to thrive? And hopefully where you'll hear advice and experience that will help you live your best life. My name is Tyson Webster and joining me as always is RJ Wright. How's it
0: going? And Stanford Webster. Hey Tyson. How have you both been? Really good. Great. Are you thriving this week? I'm not thriving on public transport, but that's
2: another story (laughs) for another day.
3: Doing well. Okay.
2: Well, before we get too far, it is my privilege to introduce our guest this week, Teresa Murray is the founder and COO of Safe Heart Foundation, a charity that focuses on the education and prevention of bullying, domestic violence, and abuse. Having experienced domestic violence in her own home growing up, Teresa is a powerful advocate for domestic violence awareness and prevention. Teresa has served in a volunteer capacity for 20 years, helping women overcome similar situations in their own lives and helping them regain their dignity and realize their inherent value. Teresa is a proud mom of three amazing young adult children. Her work in the community has been recognized by numerous awards and nominees, including two-time Australian of the Year nominee and the winner of the 2019 Western Sydney Community Woman of the Year. Building safe people and safe places is Teresa's passion and mission. It's a pleasure to have her here on our podcast today. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Teresa.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Really excited about being here.
2: Good. I'm glad. Tell us a little bit about the Safe Heart Foundation.
1: So, Safe Heart Foundation is all about building safe people and safe places. Nice. Uh, that's where it all started. Just really envisioning what can we do to get into the community to build those safe people and safe places because we all want to be safe people. We all want to be safe places. How do we do that? Are we that? Uh, when we've experienced a lot of trauma, um, abuse, even as a child. You really have a passion that most people really have a passion that you do want to be a safe person, but where do I start? I need education, I need help, I need to talk to someone, I need to hear someone that possibly has gone through what I've been through that can understand and also point me in the right direction for help and counselling and all the things that come with that. So when I was first envisioning birthing that, that's what it was all about. So when we first launched Safe Heart, it was all about where do we start to educate people and also at the same time to help people. Because there's a lot of people in domestic violence situations that need direct help. Mm-hmm. But what about taking a few steps back and bringing education to youth and to kids, shining a light on what abuse and domestic violence is? A lot of the time you or we grow up in situations that we think are very normal and it's not until you experience something really good or someone shines a light on a certain situation that it dawns on you that, hang on a second, that was not normal, the way I grew up all mm. the things that I experienced. Uh, and a lot of the time, it's not until you hear from someone else that has been through that and and they actually say, no, that's not healthy, that's not good, that's not a good thing. And you know what, you don't have to do the same thing, you don't have to repeat what you have seen and what you have experienced, you actually can change things in your own life.
3: Teresa, tell us, how'd you go from what you experienced growing up to having, I guess, a light bulb moment thinking, hey, I actually want to, because of what I've experienced, I want to be an advocate, I want to help.
1: Be a voice. Yeah, yeah,
3: Yeah. be be a voice in the community. Like, how does one do that? Like, and when did that happen for you?
1: So I grew up in domestic violence and abuse. I lost my mum to suicide and the reason why my mum took her life was because the night before my dad beat her within an inch of her life and she couldn't take it anymore. I was pregnant with my daughter at the time when the phone rang at 2 a.m. in the morning, and Brett went and answered. And while he was on the phone, that's when they were discovering that they couldn't revive her. We heard the whole thing; they couldn't revive her, and so forth. So, at the same time as losing my mom, I was pregnant with my daughter, and it was a transitional stage in my life of, "Am I going to repeat any of this? I need to draw a line in the sand because none of this is coming any further." So that was not a distinct in that moment one second decision. That is over a period of time, around that time of sort of 17 to 19 where I started to think, you know what, I want something different for my life. I think Mm. I'm different. I don't think I'm the same as my family. Mm. I'm hungry for change. I want my life to pivot in a whole different direction. Do I know how to do that? No. Do I know how to express that? No. I can talk like that now Mm. but at that age... I would not have been saying it that way. But I know that in my heart of hearts, that's what was going on and stirring in my heart. I wanted to have a different life and change my generations. It's not going to be the same. And it's up to me. So how do I go about that? What do I do? So that was stirring in my heart. And in that moment when I lost my mum and then I thought, and I'm going to have the next generation, I'm going to have my daughter, I need to live differently. I need to separate from things that could cause me to be drawn back in to that uh, way of life, which I had to cut off a lot of people, which is very hard. I had to say no to a lot of things and just escalated. Brett and I, my husband, we just moved in a whole different direction and made very big decisions to do so. And I'm so glad now, 30 years later, uh, since I've known my husband, it's been 30 years, um, that's exactly what we did. We moved in a whole different direction but growing up like that, I never really talked to anyone about it. the Abuse that I experienced. I could barely talk to anyone about what happened to my mum. If anyone asked me, how did your mum die? Oh, she felt she died in her sleep. I, I just couldn't talk about it. I didn't mm. know how. It was too painful. It was too traumatic. I didn't have a voice. It was just all locked up inside and I didn't know how to get it out. Didn't know how to express it. And that's very painful. You don't even know you're going through that. But now looking back, that's very hard and that's very painful. And you're having children at the same time. And wanting better, and that was all. Over those years, it was slowly coming down on me. It was it was weighing down on me. Never spoke to. Were you, you an only child? I'm one of six. One of six, wow. okay. Yeah. Uh, but my mum had my five siblings quite young and all close together, and then had me ten years later. <laughs> so okay. I'm, I'm the baby, and forever will be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you always get treated as the baby in situations like that. They, my sisters are all like. My mum's, I guess.
3: Yeah, so they were out of the home. They ran for, from for home
1: as quick as they could. Most of my siblings left home 14. Yeah, okay. They were out. They were gone. Smart women. Good that they did so. And then I grew up, in a sense, almost like an only child when yeah. it's like that. You're yeah. sort of an only child, but you have siblings. So... Um,
3: Well, like uncles and aunties. They are, yeah, and my
1: my nieces and nephews are my cousins. You grow up like cousins Mm, mm. because they're the same age as me or not much different. So they never would call me auntie. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) No way, never. Um, So growing up in that, seeing my mum beaten, um, experiencing sexual abuse from multiple people in my family, um, all of that that happened, never spoke about it until I was about 32. I would say I was about 32. And the reason why, because I got to a stage where I was, it was PTSD. I was experiencing post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that's what it was, though. I just remember getting to a point where everything felt like it was coming down on me. I couldn't handle things correctly. And I got to the point where I was numb. I just didn't feel anything. It Literally physically, I would sometimes slap my face to feel something. Not slap it hard, mm-hmm. but just like... Is that real? Am I here? You feel like you're outside of your body. You're watching everything from the outside. And I didn't know how to talk about that. I didn't know even that that's what it was or PTSD or anything like that. So I was experiencing these things thinking, I need help. I really need help. And if there's a God out there, which there is, help me. I don't Mm. know where to start. I don't know where to go. What do I do? And then I was saying those little prayers, I guess, in my heart and then all of a sudden I came across someone that started talking about a program that was being run for people that experienced sexual abuse if they wanted to do it. And it was for free, which made it even <laughs> better at the time. Mm-hmm. When you don't have a lot of money, I can't go out there spending a lot of money to get help. So um, that was like, ding, 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 this is for me. Oh, my gosh, it's been created for me. They wrote it for me. This has to, that's how it feels. You're like, you know what, I'm scared as heck. I'm petrified but I've got to suck it up and do it because, you know, I want to be a better wife, I want to be a better mom, I want to be a better friend and you can only do those things if you're helping yourself and you're getting that healing because you can't grow, you can't develop, you can't invest in others when you're feeling like that. Although I was, there was so much more in me that needed to, to grow and to bloom and to come out of me. That was never going to happen until I sought help. So I picked up the phone, got the number for this mm. um, program that was being run, picked up the phone, and I'm stressing out, I'm freaking out I'm thinking okay but I've got to do it, I've got to do it and you're hyping yourself up, okay I'm going to say okay I guess I just blurted out, I'll just say I was a child that, um, like you just think you're going to say something like that, so I pick up the phone the lady answers and I'm like hi hey, I'd like to volunteer, do you have any programs that I could volunteer, I just couldn't say it so I became a volunteer first just uh-huh. to help out, which was the best thing ever actually, so I got involved in the program, started helping wherever I could, so they ran like small workshops so if you had experience childhood sexual abuse it was just a very surface let's get together and have lunch and just talk let's just you know read through some things that may open up a few things that you might not be aware of very gentle which is exactly what you need when you're first starting you don't. you do not need to be thrown in the deep end with something like that but I just I couldn't even talk there I just I'll help what do you want me to do so I would turn up and set up the room and um, set up lunch for the ladies that would be there doing the program the participants and which was great because it gave me a time to see hey this works and these people are loving it and it's a very safe environment and that's where it really birthed in me we need safe people and safe places and we can become those people and we can become those places. This is possible. And that's where it just birthed in me the whole the whole safe and having a safe heart where people can come to you and, and feel safe and talk and, and open up. So I was volunteering, helping out for about six months easy, I would say, and then I thought, you know, I need to tell these people that I've been working with that I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm one of these people because, you know, I guess I can come across particularly now but even back then people would never think that I experienced anything that I experienced people just assume oh man you must have the greatest childhood you know your family's fantastic which they are my kids are amazing our family is great I mean look at the work we do you know I have a great husband so you, everyone just thinks your life is perfect Roses. just put together people just assume um which is half the problem because you feel like I'm gonna let all these people down if I go oh you know what darling Man, I, I've, I've failed. i failed. That's not my life. I have suffered and seen some terrible things that you don't even want to hear. Sometimes you feel like you can let people down when they see you in a certain light. Uh, and I felt all that pressure at that time. But I just got to the stage where I thought I got to tell them. I got. I've been through these things as well, and I did. And the lady that I spoke to was fantastic. And I told her. You know, I experienced sexual abuse as a child. I experienced exactly these things that we've been talking about and hearing and I'm one of the people that need help too. I really need help. So I sat in and became a participant and it absolutely changed my life. And I'm so glad that I did it, but you know what, it's so hard just to speak up and have that voice and say, help me. Those two words can be the hardest things you can ever do, but two words that could ever be the best that you could ever do and I'd encourage people to definitely speak up speak out ask for help shame will keep you silent shame will keep you quiet shame will keep you from living the life that you should have and a big life I used to think oh, I must be a shy person or a nervous person or I get I'm just one of those people that must get overwhelmed easily that's my personality type you know you hear all that this is your personality type but over time you realize actually no that's not me at all there's actually this whole other person in there. There's like two people. There's this person that is really me and I want to come out and I want to be myself. And then there's this other person that from your trauma and from your experiences uh, keep you locked up and keep you quiet and not really being the person that you really could be. So through Safe Heart and through our school program, speaking to young people, we're saving people's lives. We're, you know, Of course suicide crossed my mind when I was in my youth. Uh, I grew up with suicide. My mum, as I mentioned earlier, uh, took her own life. But growing up, my parents, it was, it was, I guess, a lifestyle to drugs, alcohol, and you just play with suicide, you self-harm. My parents did that in different ways as well. So it was very normal to see those things and experience those things. So when I got to the stage where I thought, now's the moment for me to to change my life. It was either I get help and have that impact and change my life or I die. But not die. It wasn't a die in the sense of suicide. That's not what was crossing my mind at 32 because I have children, I've got something to live for, I've got something to fight for. It was more, I can't live this way. It was a cry out of, I need to change or I need to die. There's no, what, there's no other option. But that is a beautiful place to be in, where you are willing to give up everything to get that change, where you're willing to just throw yourself into the mix to create something different. It's a, an internal fight that you need like a caterpillar to a butterfly and et cetera. It's this fight that needs to take place for you to evolve, for you to become what you truly need to be. So although it was a painful experience and a hard experience to get to that stage of thinking, I've got no, nothing else. I either change or die. I need help or die. Uh, although that's hard, that's something I'll never regret that I went through. Uh, it was a, It's a beautiful moment. I still remember being in the lounge room on the floor on my knees distinctly remembering that's where I was and all my kids were at school and I finally you know you're home alone when they get to that age and I thought i got to i got to change I've got to do something I need help so it, it's a it's a beautiful moment if we can give other people that chance maybe not that dramatic it's not always that dramatic for everyone but give other people a chance particularly when they're young to hear stories to hear that they can change things that the way you feel might not be normal but there's help there uh, you know that salvation that's what safe heart is all about rolling that out and helping people so our safe heart program what we thought was and the way that we developed it was let's show people what a really good healthy relationship is so if you take that light and shine it on the darkness you can expose the darkness let's create that light so we talk about what a good healthy safe relationship is and a, a lot of people don't know a lot of young or older people don't know but a, young, a lot of young people they have no idea what boundaries are um, you know, if someone's asking you to do something, it's okay to say no, how to say no. Uh, if, you know, if in an instance, if a girl has a, a boyfriend that's saying you're not allowed to go out, tell me everywhere you are, when, tell me when you're home. They, they think that's love. Jealousy equates to love. You, and naturally human beings, we can do that. We can think, um, oh, he's treating me that way because he loves me. He wants to know where I am because he loves me. He wants to know who I talk to because he loves me. No, that's that's not healthy. But how are people going to know if we don't talk about it?
2: Where are you supposed to learn that? Like I understand, you know, we, we're supposed to learn that from our parents or from our father figures, mother figures, all that kind of stuff in our lives. But I don't remember one time sitting down with my mum or dad and them telling me, this is how you treat the woman on your date. This is how you do this. Don't be ghosting people on the phone. You know, like (laughs) where are you supposed to learn that?
1: Primarily, it is at home. Is it? Although we don't, I guess I agree. A lot of the time, it's not. But we need to change that. We need to flip the script. I think sitting around the table talking about sex, religion, money, politics around the table. Let's go. Let's talk about those things. Let's bring it out. Age appropriate for your kids, hundred percent. Being an example, that would be a good start.
0: Well the problem is if you don't have those conversations with your kids around the table they still have the questions and they're still going to go somewhere for answers and if it's not you then where are they going <laughs> that's, Exactly that's, the scary that's part.
1: true. And we know where they're going. Yeah. They're talking to their friends, they're yep. going to every, you know, website you can think of. Yep. Um, and what can't you see on the internet?
3: I hear everyone's going to Bluey. Isn't that <laughs> yes, we did talk about Bluey last time.
1: What's a Bluey?
0: Bluey a really good kids show.
1: Um, oh. we'll, we'll
0: do another
2: plug for Bluey.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> My oldest daughter is 14. We jokingly try and talk to her about a guy she likes and we try and talk about sex and stuff. But a lot of the time she shuts us down because it's embarrassing and we all laugh about it and all that kind of stuff. But then sometimes I'm like, am I trying to convey too much to them? Am I getting in there? Like as a parent, how much do I force my children to listen to me versus let them find out on their own? What do you think?
1: Keep doing what you're doing, that's a 100%. Whether you think you're doing it right or wrong Mm. or you could be doing better, that's not the point. The point is is that you're trying and you're communicating and you're talking to them, which means your kids feel cared for, which means you could be a safe place. Annoyed, annoyed. That's okay, a little bit. Well, my kids are 27, 24 and 22. Mm -hmm. And of course our conversations would be different to a 14-year-old conversation, but... You can make jokes, you can keep things all very light and do it in a very funny, light way. When topics do come out, up in a show or a TV or a movie or you know something is brought up... then you can start talking yeah, about talk it. Yeah, talk about it. I find something that I did with my kids was I put in place with myself, I'm never going to get offended. Okay. So no matter what they say, no matter what they do, even when they go through maybe a stage of telling you they hate you... <laughs> They never want to be like you or any of those very dramatic... I'm never going to be offended because half the time it's hormones. So as a parent, why am I getting offended when it's just hormones? Uh, a lot of the time it's stresses at school. There's uh, peer pressures. Uh, their brain's not developed yet. Like there's so many different things as to why young ones respond and react the, the way they do. And it's got absolutely nothing to do with how they feel about you or whether they actually do hate you or or not. That's just them in their very childlike, immature way expressing themselves. So first and foremost, never get offended at what your, your kids do. Um, that's something I put into place. And what that did was, no that's matter what... It's easier said than done. It is, <laughs> yeah. it is. But if you keep self-talk and you yep. keep telling yourself, and you know Remind what, you prepare yourself. yourself yeah. So you take three and four steps back and you go, okay. So next year they're going to be 14, so this is what I'm going to expect. This could be the things that will come into play that could happen i'm gonna prepare myself now
2: you're gonna prepare yeah. yeah think about it kid. think about yourself as a young kid and then yeah pre-plan okay,
1: way before the question comes up way before the situation that. happens pre-plan it's your best weapon so when they do do something or they come to you with something you're like i got that in my arsenal
2: you ran that down <laughs> rj
0: you've got young ones yeah that's right
2: stan's got an old one 18 you've gone through all this
0: so I need I need you guys to give me a dialogue every year about what you've been dealing with, and I'll take notes.
1: But hey, talking about it does, hey? Listening yeah. to other parents, talking with your spouse as well, saying, I've noticed this, I have a feeling. As parents, like, come on, sometimes we feel things in our gut, you know that gut feeling, you're like something's not right or something's mm. happening listen to it because you know what you're most probably right it's not paranoia something's going on don't move out of paranoia do it totally different to mm. i just i'm scared i I'm, don't use words like that and start following them and stalking them putting a tracker on your phone like that's not really the situation that's going to cause them to be able to feel like you're a safe place and they can come mm. to you so you need to be that safe place that they can just tell you anything and you know what you're cool as a cucumber you might get upset, but you're not angry at them. You know, there's some situations that could happen in your child's life that, of course, it's going to upset you and you don't like it, but you're not angry at them. They can come to you and tell you absolutely anything. So my daughter talks to me about, uh, I'm hoping, everything. <laughs> she tells me she does, which I doubt. You know what? Sometimes uh, naivety is bliss. Is that how
3: you say it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to know
1: everything. You're 20 I don't need to. But you know what? If you've got to tell me, if you want to tell me, you can tell me I'll suck it up and I'll listen yeah. to that situation. You know the important things. You know, <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. And the best thing ever is telling them, oh man, I stuff up and I have stuffed up. And your kids love that. They really do. They love knowing that. Oh my gosh. Because they do get to an age where you realize, oh, your parents aren't perfect, right? You, you mm-hmm. That dawns on you. Wow, they're human too. So, oh, my gosh, my parents must have gone through that as well. Like, it sort of dawns on them, and you see it when that starts happening. And um, and it's really good to go, oh, man, yeah, I'm sorry. I I stuffed up there, and I'm human, and, you know, I did do stuff, or I did experience that. I do find – I can be, obviously, a very serious person, but with my kids – I do use a lot of lightheartedness and, and humour to communicate things and stories. I love telling stories and funny stories and making jokes and things like that. But so much can get through when you do that. The beautiful thing with having boys and girls, do you guys have boys and girls or just?
0: Boys and girls. Yeah. Yeah, we're all a mix, yeah. yeah.
1: So I've got one daughter, two boys. The beautiful thing is with boys, I don't want to know anything. Like, mum, don't, nah, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. I don't need to hear that. I don't know. But daughters tell me everything <laughs> in detail. I want pictures. They want to know absolutely everything, which is exciting because I, obviously I'm a woman. I want to know detail too, so I get it. But, yeah, starting really young, I remember when they were like two, I used to think, okay, if I allow them now at two to get away with that, what's that going to look like at 16? Mm. And I would constantly tell myself that. So if I nib it in the butt now, I won't have that at 16. Or it will look like this when they're 16, because you know what? I'm the parent, and that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to go down. Got to start young. You can't suddenly just let them cruise through when you get to 16 and 18, and then all of a sudden everything's going to work. If you suddenly it's too late. Throw yeah. down. It's too late then. <laughs> But, yeah, being there, communicating, letting them know that you're there no matter what, you're not going to get offended, you can come to me, I'm a safe place, you can tell me anything. Especially with dads, you know, the typical dad that if a daughter comes to you and says a boy did something, you just, you know, you lose it, you get your shotgun and, you you know, this big dramatic (laughs) that is portrayed in so many movies. Tell me where he lives. Yeah, (laughs) all that, I'll answer the door naked (laughs) with a chainsaw (laughs) if a boy knocks on the door. Like, it sounds funny and you can joke about it, but at the same time that creates a stress in a child, like, Well, then if my dad finds out or if I tell him, he's going to lose it or he's going to, you know, I could hurt him. Like the worst things our kids want to do is hurt us, right? So they keep so many things from us because of that fear of, I don't want to hurt my mum so I might not, I might keep it to myself, you know? And we do that a lot as kids, which I think as parents the best thing, you know, you're not going to hurt me. I'm not going to get offended. I'm a safe place. I'm not going to answer the door with a chainsaw. That's okay. You can come and tell me. And am I going to get upset if something has gone down? Yeah, because I'm human. But you need to understand I'm human. I'm not angry at you. Um, and like we said, pre-plan, plan now. Like if you've got a four-year-old, plan now for when they're twenty. Mm. Women are great like that. Do you think that we we plan oh, A lot, lot better. No, no yeah. question. <laughs> I
0: will not contest that at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. So talk a lot with your with your wife and plan. And when you get those gut feelings, talk about things and read material, talk to people get that education because we don't know what we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the worst feeling when you want to do something, you don't know what. But the answer is talking to someone, getting educated, which is why we run our programs so that people can hear these things and discover things and maybe even things they never even thought about until they heard about it. So powerful.
3: How prevalent is domestic violence in Australia? Way to bring it down, Stan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Are you asking me statistics? <laughs> Didn't we discuss this before? This? <laughs> no. <laughs>
3: Well, we can chop this and put this question somewhere else. I just thought, let's.
1: Domestic violence is very prevalent. It's everywhere and it's non discriminative. It's got nothing to do with your bank account, your postcode, your race, your culture. Can it look slightly different in different cultures? Possibly, yes, from what the women that I have spoken to and experienced in some homes, it can look a little different with different cultures. Uh, But in general, Domestic violence is everywhere. I've learnt never have the idea that that would never happen there, that that could never happen on that street, that that could never happen to a person that looks like that. There's uh, domestic violence or family abuse in the sense of financial abuse. That looks different to punching someone in the face.
2: Yeah, that's what I wanted to bring up. like Because when I hear domestic violence, I think violence, I think physical interaction, I think... Um, that kind of stuff yes. But it's more than that isn't so it?
1: Domestic violence and abuse That's and why abuse. it's okay. good to use those terms Because it can look very different okay. uh, And spiritual abuse I've talked to a lot of people that have been through spiritual abuse In In the sense let's say a female And they're told that they just have to put up with it Because God wants us to forgive And you just live a terrible life Because you want to please God And these things are constantly put on you Uh, financial abuse obviously you'd have no control of your own bank accounts or your own money you're given an allotment of money to work with per whatever and if you um, go over that or you don't use that correctly there's hell to pay there's always a threat I know growing up my dad did a lot of abuse in the sense of when we were in the car he would drive fast how do you explain to someone that that is domestic abuse because what is happening it's a form of aggression It's a form of control. So if we're in the car and he's angry, then he'll just drive sporadically and fast and aggressive to scare us.
2: Everyone's afraid.
1: So there's so many different ways of abusing and hurting people besides hitting and punching, which obviously is very prevalent as well. Um, Not always directly pushing and punching and physical, but maybe throwing things and punching walls and name calling and all those things i mean name calling just if you look at that in itself you know you're nothing and every swear word you could think of over years that's going to tear you down that's going to wear you down and then your children are in the other room hearing that growing up with that that's deep abuse that Hmm. is not as i was saying that is not um distinct to cultures and postcodes it's everywhere
0: We've touched on it a lot already, but it's such a prevalent issue. What advice do you have for people who are currently living that, who are currently dealing with that in their lives? How do they have hope? How do they break out?
1: A lot of the time when people break away from domestic violence and abuse, it's a, they say it's approximately four to five times of attempting before you're successful. Wow. So what I'll, in my case, because I work predominantly with Sorry, women... Sorry, I just want to say, look
0: at you pulling out a statistic right there. <laughs>
1: Um, because I work with women predominantly it could be simple it could be simply them like I said before hearing someone's story and then they just start thinking about it that it's not normal I don't need to live this way and there are organizations there are people that understand and could help me they start thinking about it and then the next step might be a phone call or two Hi, I'm calling because a a friend of mine's in a situation. I just wanted to get advice on how I could advise her so I can help her in this situation. What would she do if she needed to leave? It can be multiple situations like that before they get the guts to leave. And sometimes they do leave and they'll come back. Because especially if you're a mother, there's this natural instinct in you that you want your kids to have a home, that you, you feel guilty to take your children away from their dad. That is a very big one that a lot of women will stay because they think they're actually doing an injustice for their children to take them away from their father. They need to see that they're actually being an example to their children, they're actually possibly saving their children's life and their own life uh, by getting out of that situation. So the best thing is to talk to somebody. Again, a safe person and a safe place. Someone that you can go to and say, this is my situation, please don't tell anyone because it could actually be life-threatening to tell somebody but I need to talk to someone I need to tell someone what I'm going through a lot of the time when people open up and they tell you something that they're going through they will tell you the lightest situation that they're going through so if someone says I'm going through this times that usually by 10 because they're testing the waters is this a safe person for me Mm. to tell how are they going to respond are they going to tell somebody else they're just testing In situations like that, you feel like you're the only one. No one else in the whole world understands. No one will understand what I'm trying to say. I'm on my own. Shame makes you feel lonely. So if you more so than just saying, "Hey, take this, go, I'll go with you. I mean, how powerful is that? Just to stand with someone, go with someone, walk through something like that with someone. That's one of the best things that you could do walk through with them not that we all have all the tools in these situations because we don't we don't have the tools but taking them somewhere helping them go to a place that do have the next step that do have those tools to help them whether it's transitional housing or shelter food Uh, a friend of mine that works in an organization sits down with women and fills out all the forms that you have to fill out all the Centrelink forms and which is daunting. Could you imagine you're planning on leaving or you have just left, you've got four kids to feed and you need to sit there and fill out forms and go online and log in and register and, like, it is crazy. So someone can sit with you and help you out and walk through simple things like that, very powerful. And then they'll take that next step and they'll mostly be more successful in not going back to the situation, saving their life and their children's life if it's a life-threatening situation
3: what can three average guys do to help eliminate and minimize domestic violence you know are there warning signs or manifestations of small forms of, of abuse that we should look out for and when we see it do we intervene and what, what can we do
1: I would say that it depends on the situation I mean is it a neighbor for example say it's a neighbor and you can hear which I have actually heard you know they they're full- on going at it and you can and it's not just a once-off. You know, you, can hear, you know, people argue. We don't need to put, you know, simple arguments under the banner of domestic violence. That's the other thing we need to do. Ex- same with bullying, understanding actually what it is mm, yeah. because a lot mm. of the time we get confused and we think if someone has raised their voice for a moment, they're yeah. in a domestic violence situation. And My wife's been it. accused
0: of that. It's <laughs> just with kids in tantrums in the car. It's like are you abu-? like one lady full-on came to her and said, are you abusing your children? Yeah. Because like, yeah, that's what I do in public is try to make a scene to... Anyway, sometimes people do get the wrong idea. That's
1: right. Especially like today, right? We're talking about it. It's going to be on our minds for a little while. So everything we see and hear, we're going to think... (laughs) (laughs) It just makes you sensitive sensitive and alert um, and those sorts of things. But through our educational programs in schools, uh, which we don't only run at schools, we run anywhere, HR departments, anywhere we're invited, Uh, we do talk about what it is and what it's not when it comes to bullying and domestic violence and having a look at that so that we can understand, are we being bullied? Are we in a domestic violence situation? And then, you know what, in some situations with young people, or actually I shouldn't say young people, but people in general, when we run our bullying programs, we've had so many people, the bully come to us and say, I didn't even know I was a bully. I had no idea until I heard your program and what that looks like. And today I realised I'm a bully thank you so much because I'm not going to do those things anymore. I thought I was just having a laugh and, you know, having some fun and, and just picking on someone and, you know, these different things that come under the banner of bullying and they realise that they are a bully, that's powerful. <laughs> Especially, Could you imagine, for example, you know, a man that doesn't realise that he's abusing his family verbally, for example, and, and, and until they sit in on one of our programmes, they realise, I do that. I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. That's classed as, you know, control. That's classed as abuse. And he would never have known that because why? Most probably he grew up in the same situation. He just mm-hmm. thinks that's it's normal. It's not just
2: repeating That's the, right. What and same for
1: women as well. They just think that is normal. And it's that light that will shine on them that um, is so powerful because they can change that. And that's the exciting part to do with our program when we see those changes happen and not just victims come to us and talk to us but the perpetrators realize that they're a perpetrator and they're going to change. And from a young age, how exciting. Yeah, that's powerful. I mean, a lot of bullies stay bullies into their adulthood and a lot of bullies can be um, abusive as well in their adulthood. That's how it grows and that's where it leads as they get older. So if you can stop that before it gets to that stage, it's so powerful and you're changing generations by doing so.
3: You and Brett have done a lot of work in schools. You know, young relationships, are they healthier these days or, or lesser?
1: What we're finding particularly in the area with um, porn, there's such a porn epidemic that a lot of young people are not learning correctly about sex and we know that under the banner of sex can come control and forms of control and everything's just out of whack. Everything is just all over the place and um, kids are not finding the right education when it comes to sex and relationship and intimacy and connection and attachment. These things are getting lost. So we know that things like porn destroy relationship. They destroy us being able to relate to others, to sympathise with others, to connect. We, we it, it tears us down and we can lose those things. That creates a healthy relationship. And because young people as young as... You know, as soon as you put a device in a child's hand, really, which is yeah,
0: pretty young. everywhere,
1: <laughs> you can see two-year-olds a lot of the time with some device with no limitations on it, and off they go. So we're finding a lot of young people having porn addictions from a very young age, which is causing the problems that I just uh, mentioned before, lack of communication, connection, attachment, knowing how to treat another person, um, thinking that it's all about their own sexual desires and not the other person... Um, they, that's getting lost. And sex education in schools, I'm telling you now, is not going to help that situation at all because it's very... Uh, sex education in schools a lot of the time, I can't speak for absolutely everything, but a lot of the time is very f- just physical. This is this part, this is that part, this is... You know, it's very yeah. black and white and straightforward and things like that. They're not being taught how about healthy sex, which is actually respect for the other person and connection and healthy attachment, um, boundaries... We, you know, we don't get taught those things. So where are we going? Where are we going to get really? taught those things at home? Really, we do. We need to talk about those things and and be an example in our home of those things and show affection affection to your partner and show boundaries. And I know that it's hard. I'm not saying it in the way as a parent that it's easy. I know that it's not. It's definitely hard, especially when I was younger. And topics would come up, and I hadn't dealt with any of my situation, my upbringing, my experience, and had so much shame around it. I I didn't know what to do either. I mean, if a topic came up or if my my daughter would have said something along the lines of a boy likes me or anything to do about sex or anything like that, uh, from memory, shame just hits you. So it shuts you down and I didn't know what to do and I mostly didn't deal with it properly at all. Thank God they were young when I um, started to get help and education and, and change. But I do remember times where that would freak me out. I would get very nervous and anxious about those topics. Um, but as parents, we don't have to be that way. We can educate ourselves and be open to talk about those things. It doesn't always have to go down the with our kids. It doesn't always have to go down that very descriptive and in-detail situation, you know, maybe in, when they're older, but when they're younger, talk about connection and respect and attachment and, um, and love and, and all those things that make sex great. Sex is not a bad thing. That's, that's the big thing, that we always need to remind ourselves and remind others, particularly our children, that it's not an evil thing, it's not a bad thing. It's an abused thing in life and in the world. So back to the question that you asked. Yes, a lot of young people's relationships are struggling. They don't know what a good, healthy relationship is or looks like. I know with our children, they weren't allowed to date until they were 18 or left school. Would things happen between, you know, in high school and between those years? Most probably. Did they maybe have secrets or, you know, other things happen? Maybe. But the rule in our home was until you're 18, you don't seriously date. And it was the best thing we ever did because it eliminated, number one, a lot of stress. <laughs> a lot of late nights worrying what, where are they and what's going on. And it just eliminates so many problems. So we just incorporated that in our family and talked about why. Not just this is a rule but this is why. Because you're young and you're not fully developed yet. Your brain hasn't developed yet. It's just going to be drama. And my boys, they were very much, yeah, I can't, I can't be bothered. I don't want the drama. (laughs) It's very simple.
2: How did (laughs) your daughter react?
1: Um, she thought we were, you know, too strict and Mm. she should be able to come to me and talk about boys and, you know, have a boyfriend and all these sorts of things, of course, and would complain about it. And, she would tell you now ex- exactly that so I'm not saying anything that she wouldn't say uh, but now at 27 appreciates it and loves it and um, is in a healthy relationship now and uh, a lot of people come to her for advice and talk about those things she's one of those people I guess growing because she grew up in our family that people come to and talk to and feel safe with um, but no she thinks she thinks us now the way that we Brought them up and the rules that we had in place.
3: You said serious dating, so was that dating at all? No, seri- You know, no dates whatsoever until eighteen. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So can you can you like uh, the opposite sex? Of course. Hundred yep. percent, yes. Can you tell us that you like, you know, this person mm. and that? Hundred percent, yes. But actually, dating and being in a relationship Exc- what, at fourteen
3: and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, come on.
3: Yeah, I, I wish there was a healthier dating culture. Yeah, it could, should just be able to go out like strictly as mates and and have, have fun. Have and lots and it doesn't. Of friends. It doesn't have to be so intense you yeah. know you don't have to be going out with someone to and then all of a
1: sudden you're isolating yourself from your friends go to, go to a movie from all the fun you know? things from youth group from hanging out and it's just you two for six months on your own at 14 like no it's not that's not going to happen not happening at all <laughs> um a lot of the time as parents too we feel like we need to give our kids privacy not happening <laughs> not in our family there's no privacy <laughs> of course, as they get older, there's you know privacy and you know physical privacy and things like that. But privacy is in you're not allowed to know anything. You're not allowed to come in here. You're not allowed to know passwords. You know, not happening. We're gonna know everything. You know, a lot of the time men have man, man caves uh, in our home. The house is my husband's cave. It's the whole house. <laughs> He's going to be everywhere and, and be involved in everything. And, and both of us are as well. It's not that's your corner and that's yeah. my corner. And you stay here, I'll like stay that. over there. Yeah.
2: I've noticed that so, uh, my kids, because uh, they have their screens, one of my daughters yeah. goes and sits in a particular chair and that's her spot. Yeah. And then another kid goes sits over there. And so they're all separated. And like I have to yell at them because they're all over the place. And I'm like, why don't we come back? Come back. Like, let's sit here together. But they're like, no, no, I'm doing whatever. (laughs) I'm doing my thing.
3: Yeah, that's, that's good. I think I think screen time is probably one of the best things that Apple did just to kind of manage because you know if you, if you let left them to their own devices, like they, they would literally spend twenty four seven. Of course, it's, device, like really it's yeah. of course, all of us would in front of the device, like really
1: entertaining, yeah, and brain numbing. All of us would want to sit there and you know do our own thing, and it's very uh, pleasing. But we've always had a, a saying in our home that you know uh, rules without relationship cause rebellion. So if you have a rule, have a reason behind it and explain why, that's something that we always talked about and implemented. And when I, when I talk about the examples that we have in our family, I'm not saying that everything we did was perfect and we did it amazingly and nothing ever went wrong. Of course not. But you still need to go there. You still need to implement things and try things and
2: mm.
1: you know, have those rules there. It shows that you care.
2: It's, it's better to try and make some mistakes than not try at all.
1: Exactly Trying, I think as a parent, kids seeing that you are trying shows them that you love them. Whether you fail, whether you do it well or not, they know that you care and, and that you love them. There was an experiment years ago that was put out with... Um, they put kids into a backyard and they built a fence... And when the fence was around, the kids would go right up to the fence, right to the end. But then the yard that there there was no fence built, the kids would stay right close to the house because they didn't feel that safety. And I think as parents, that's what we need to do. We need to have those perimeters. We need to have those rules. We need to put things in place. And our kids will actually feel safe in that environment. They actually don't feel safe when, well, go, be what you want, do what you want, run around, let me know tomorrow what you got up to. You know, a lot of parents feel they need to just, You know not helicopter parent Um, that's something that gets thrown around a lot don't be a helicopter parent sure there's you know a healthy balance but you need to show that you care and there's boundaries there because we care we don't want anything to harm you
0: if i can step back to the pornography subject for a minute a good friend of mine is is a fair bit older than me and he's had a rough life he's gone through abuse as a kid he's gone through a great many things He was a porn addict for 30-something years and and did a lot of other hard drugs too. And so it's interesting from his perspective how addictive pornography is Mm. because he talked about how he could quit heroin, he could quit an awful lot of other hard drugs a lot easier than he could give up the porn. And and now he has. He's he's an amazing success story in his own right. He's done a a lot of amazing things. But I think especially as kids, but but for all of us, we don't realize – One, how addictive it is. Like it's so accessible. There's no warning label on it. It's it's not like you know, cigarettes or even going to the vape store or something. Like you you at least have some kind of message of this isn't great for you. Um, But but with porn, it's anyone can access it. There's no age limits. No one's going to ask if you're old enough. There's no,
1: you know, it's so accessible. Yeah, click of a finger. Absolutely.
0: And so I think people just aren't aware of how damaging it is and how hard it is to get out of that once once you're in that hole. Um, a lot of people do struggle with that. They do, yeah. Do you have any advice for those who are, who are in that boat?
1: I would see it as, as you said, an addiction. Yeah. And addiction can be healed. Yep. Uh, I know a lot of people that have done AA program for mm-hmm. porn addiction and it's changed their lives. Yeah. But again, it's, it's seeking help. It's speaking up. It's finding the safe place to go to and say, yep. I have this problem, you know, mm-hmm. and I need help. And there's so much shame around a, a porn addiction i mean men and women both have porn addictions but a majority of the time when we do have a look at that it is majority men sure that have that problem although it is with women as well
3: does society see it as an addiction
1: a lot of the time no it's not until you talk to someone and class it as an addiction and explain why that they go mm-hmm. oh that makes so much sense. Yeah, I yeah. fit within
3: those parameters. I, I, I must be addicted. That.
1: A lot of the time, no. A lot of people don't think it's an addiction. They automatically go to alcohol and drugs and things like that. Yeah. A lot of people don't see that porn is an addiction because porn actually gives you a high.
3: It's a dopamine hit.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happens. And as we know with addictions, you need to do more and go deeper to get a better high, and it just keeps going. Yeah. To the point, unfortunately, a, a lot of men are isolating themselves. We need to expose it 100% as an addiction. Yeah, and, I completely um, agree. And have a look at it that way.
0: Another friend of mine around my age just lost his marriage because of that. Like, And and his wife knew for a long time was very supportive. It wasn't that she walked out on him. It's he ended up walking out on her and the kids mm. because he just decided, you know what, I, I lost the love. Mm. It, it does yeah, kill love.
1: terrible. And I think for the partner, as a woman, if I was in a situation like that, what a woman automatically does is then that's a reflection back on me. So if my husband or partner has um, a porn problem or watches porn or, or to the extent of an addiction, then it's a reflection back on me I must lack. There's something wrong with me. I don't fulfil him. What's wrong with me? Why don't you want me? And it just, as a woman, it will come back to you. You feel like it's your fault. Yeah. And in a lot of abusive situations like that, it's a lot of the time what we do, we think there's something wrong with me. It must be my fault. But that's not true in a porn addiction situation it has nothing to do with the partner at all and I think it's healthy for women to understand that and through education understand that because if they do understand that they they themselves might be a bit more open to talking to their partner about it yep. and exposing it because what a lot of women will do if they are aware that their husband or their is in this situation just stay quiet because they don't understand that number one it's not It's not a personal attack. It's not a reflection on you and you can talk to them about it so that they can seek help. It is an addiction and your partner needs help like any other addiction.
0: Thank you for that, yeah.
3: Teresa, what does it mean to you to thrive?
1: I think one of the best ways to thrive is helping other people. That's something that's always driven my husband and I, helping others. Um, And I have a saying that the best form of therapy is helping other people. You think you're helping them and you're healing them, it comes back to you a hundredfold and it's so powerful. Uh, So if there's ever a situation where you think, you know, I have a problem and I need help and I have, you know, something going on in my life, one of the best ways you can heal that is to get involved somehow find an organization with to do with something that you've experienced or need help in and help there whether it's you know financial or through volunteering or you know having a voice getting involved yourself will bring that healing back to you a hundredfold
3: beautiful thank you you see on social media there's this self-love pandemic Mm -hmm. and there's there's very little about just helping others it's all about hey now it's it's time for me Yeah. Oh, i'm putting my so fir- much i'm, I'm it, putting my there? i'm i'm putting me first you know yeah. i'm going to do this i'm going to do yeah. this i'm going to do this and this
1: and there's so many memes. there's, there's a so lot much. less
3: hey i'm going to help i'm going to help others like
1: so much out there of i'm just going to snuggle in the lounge and watch netflix and i'm just going to me and i'm just going to feed me, me, me and i'm oh mm-hmm. me, time me time and oh dear there's so much
3: yeah, it's crazy. It's like anything that you've just got to stay away from all types of extremes. It's it's, it's, it's only, dangerous.
2: Uh, it's that addiction thing. If you do anything to an extreme, it's not healthy. Yeah. yeah. Um
1: or you're using something to get a high yeah. t- or to satisfy yourself and
2: and, and you can't tell me those people who are posting every minute of their day—that's not an addiction. That's not a high that they're getting from. And
0: it's still me-focused, right? It's yeah, here's my life. And not saying it's bad to be an influencer or have that, but no. But yes, if your entire life is wrapped around me, then you're missing out on opportunities in, For in helping other, others other and venues yeah. to grow and.
2: To but also having to a help. bigger
1: life. Yeah. I think bigger stepping life. out, yeah, mm. and helping others causes you to have a bigger life, and it expands your community, and you're meeting yeah. people, and you're hearing new things and different things, and you know, going into other people's homes, seeing different. It just expands yeah. your whole world.
2: For many years, I tried to avoid getting involved with the PNC at schools. Oh yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> lately, well, my daughter started high school. I said I'm going to go, mm. and now, like, I know all these new people. I know the principal. Like my capacity to be involved has grown like you were saying mm. i have a bigger life because i decided to put myself out there and, and be part of something but your like,
1: capacity grows yeah. and then you learn things that you most wouldn't have learned you know not being in those situations That's true.
3: we talked a little bit with your husband brett about masculinity i'm interested from your perspective you know you've known brett 30 years you've raised uh, i guess two young adult sons what does healthy masculinity look like for you
1: Something that I love to squash is toxic masculinity because what that does is... What's what's that? So toxic masculinity is classed as being masculine equates to being aggressive.
3: Okay, yeah.
1: Masculinity is a beautiful thing. I think we should embrace that. If you're a masculine man, go for it, embrace that. That does not equate to violence and aggression whatsoever. Separate all that. That's got nothing to do with it.
3: If we're trying
2: to get rid of the association between toxic and masculinity what do we call that aggressiveness that people are referring to?
1: Just exactly what it is. What it's it it's is. violence and it's aggressive and it's abusive and it's, uh, it's illegal.
2: Yeah. Calling we'll call it what it, it, exactly it is versus... what it, Not
1: associating it with masculinity. Okay. Because masculinity is a good thing. And it's trying to put those two things together yeah. to make masculinity sound a negative thing. Mm-hmm. And no, it's not. We refuse to accept that.
3: Because those bad traits aren't limited to males. That's correct. Right. That's you you right. get that. You can have aggression and all those characteristics in female too. Well, and, and just mean because immediately. you're a male yeah.
1: doesn't necessarily mean you're aggressive. Yeah. So what, if someone has a deeper voice than another man, they're more aggressive? Like where do, where do we draw the line? Where does that start? Um, masculinity is a beautiful thing. It's good and it should be encouraged. One other thing that I wanted to talk about as well was, um, you know, I love my mum, respect my mum. Now that I'm older and looking back... You know, when you do that, you can see why people end up the way they do. My mum had a lot of brokenness and a lot of weaknesses, and, you know, allowed things to happen that as a mum you shouldn't allow to happen. But I understand why now. And that element of forgiveness is very powerful. Yeah. So I respect my mum and I love my mum. But at the same time, there was an era in my life where my mission was to not be like my mum. I'm not going to do that because that's what my mum did. I'm not going to do that because that's what she was like. You know, my mum would tell me these things, so I'm not passing that on. And I was very, not out of an anger, bitter way. It was just, I guess, the only way I could figure out how to not repeat yeah. um, what I experienced. So I'm, my focus was I'm not going to be like my mum. And then I realised I need to flip that and I need to start thinking not what I'm not going to be like, but what I am going to be like, what I do see myself as, what I want to um, be in the future, I want to look like this. So I let go of the what I don't want to be and what I don't want to repeat and focused on what I want to have and what I want to experience and what I do want to look like. And that changes your life. That takes off that pressure and that edge and that stress of trying not to be like somebody. And I've spoken to a lot of people and a lot of men that... They say that a lot as well. I'm never going to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. The not wanting to be's only take you so far. I would encourage people to let that go and focus on what you do want to be, which is why with our programs we always focus on what a healthy relationship is, not so much on all the ugly, scary things and what it all looks like. I mean, you need to touch on that a little bit to shine the light, but it's good to focus on the positives I
0: know this would probably take a lot longer than the length of this podcast, but could you perhaps summarise just what a healthy relationship is? Like, What is it that you teach? What are some key points to look for in a healthy relationship?
1: One of the big things to talk about, I think, especially with young people but with anyone, is boundaries. Mm -hmm. So we really hone in and focus on boundaries and what that looks like. So saying no, of course, is the big one. But I also look at boundaries in the sense of trusting yourself. So in my instance, say when it comes to a boundary, if I feel like I know a person or I'm in a situation where I just feel like I can't say no to them or they make me feel like I need to say yes all the time and I just have that pressure like, oh, I'm going to disappoint them if I say no, I take myself out of that situation straight away. Mm -hmm. I don't like that feeling and I know that it's unhealthy feeling and I know that it makes me vulnerable to end up in a situation that is controlling. And saying yes to things I don't really necessarily need to be so trusting yourself listening to your your instincts and putting those boundaries in place with yourself so that you can say no to things and and yes to things so we talk a lot about boundaries in that sense with young people they definitely need to know boundaries when it comes to of course sexual activity uh what a relationship looks like and control and and they're the topics that we talk about as well when it comes to safe heart.
2: What's a healthy way to tell someone, no, that's my boundary?
1: Pretty much, it's exactly what you do. You say, no, thank you. (laughs) You say, no, thank you, I can't do that. Or I appreciate it. And you never say sorry for saying no. That's one of the worst things too. Because when you say, no, I can't do that, I'm sorry, and then four reasons why. And then it becomes this whole situation, this whole monologue of why you need to... You're
2: making excuses.
1: That's right. Well... You're still caught in that situation of having to, yeah, make excuses and make reasons and s- simply you don't want to do something and you do- or you don't want to go there.
0: It's okay to give yourself permission to say, I don't want to do that. Yeah, and that's, that's right. enough.
3: You don't have to justify your reasoning yep. of why or why not you're comfortable. Yep. I'm, okay. I'm not comfortable. Yep.
1: And you don't, have to, you don't have to be aggressive about it either, you know, get angry yep. and tell someone off. Sure. Of course, we're not going to, you know, unless you really need to. In some situations, but
2: I, I feel that could backfire a lot. Let's pretend that you don't want to change your child's diaper, <laughs> and you say, "No, thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to do that <laughs> Is that what? Is it? Is that the wrong? Well, obviously, that's the wrong way to use that <laughs>
3: boundary.
1: That's a different situation if you're talking about like your own child, your own and, family. Yeah, you're your own Division family. Division of
3: domestic and duties and things like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put that load of washing on, no. And I'm not giving you three reasons why I'm not doing it. Like, it, that's – I think it's a – is that a – That's
2: getting back into control <laughs> yeah. where we were talking about you trying to control a situation that you have a lack of control and therefore that turns into some sort of mental or domestic abuse.
0: I think you can talk about those things. Like, in that kind of issue, if you're talking division of labour between you and a, and a partner or spouse – I don't see any issue with saying, look, I really don't enjoy doing this or this is really something I'd rather avoid. Can I pick up the load somewhere else? As long as you're not just forking off all responsibility and saying, good luck to you, I'm, I'm off to play golf, then, <laughs> you know, th- there's probably somewhere. Like my, my father-in-law is a brilliant man. He hardly ever changed any nappies his whole life. They, they worked that out. Like, like that didn't destroy their That's relationship. That's between them. That's yeah. between them. Now, I don't mind. Like, I, I would deal with poop a lot better than vomit. That's just me. Like, I'll, I'll wipe as many poopy butts as I need to if I, if my wife will deal with the vomit. And we've made that work so far. But like, everyone's different. I, I think... You're the poo guy. I'm, yeah, I'm the poo guy. <laughs>
1: In a family, you sort of do find your roles, though. Like, you tend to... Each of you fall into... So you do that and I do that. Did you find... Not necessarily that's a male thing, and that's, I'm not saying that, and that's a yep. female thing. You just find that... You're good at that, so, or you like doing that, so you fall into that, and I, I like this, or I fall in, or I have the time to do it, and you don't. And you just sort of fall into those roles. I, with Brett and I, there's things that he does, and I do, you know, around the house and things like that, than we still do now after, you know, 28 years of being married, because it's just worked out that way.
2: I want to thank you, Teresa, because I think this podcast for me personally has been the most self-reflective one. Like I've written notes here on my piece of paper. I'm I'm thinking, oh, am I doing this? Am I doing that? I'm going to go home and do a lot of thinking about how I can be better, how I can help those around me. Uh, And I want to thank you for opening my eyes to that. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
2: If people want to hear more from you, where can we find you?
1: You can find us at SafeHeart on all social media platforms. So SafeHeart, Make Bullying History, Teresa Murray, Brett Murray, and our website as well, which is obviously SafeHeart Foundation. You can find all that information there and contact us there as well.
0: Thank you. Do you have any quotes, favourite books, any sources of inspiration that, that you love that you'd want to recommend to our listeners today?
1: Um, As I mentioned before, the best form of therapy is helping others. The healing will come back to you a hundredfold.
3: That's great. We don't hear enough of that. We don't. Well, thank you
2: again, Teresa, for being here, being able to to spend this time together and to talk about the wonderful work Safe Heart is doing and how we can thrive more by helping those around us. Our mission is to motivate and inspire you to be your best self. This podcast was brought to you by iThrive Nutrition a premium range of Australian-made practitioner strength supplements specifically formulated to help you thrive. Whether you're training, recovering, or just relaxing, iThrive Nutrition helps you do it better. You can learn more about iThrive Nutrition at iThriveNutrition.com.au or follow us on all the social medias. Have a great week. It's time to thrive.